0: Um, first is the Old Testament, uh, from Isaiah 52, verse, t- verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. From the New Testament, we're reading Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Now there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this, was a man, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus uh, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord now I have now I have seen now that you're letting me your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword that will pierce through your own soul also, so that your thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's the word of God. Be to God.
1: Thank you, Eric. We continue on in our series on the people of Advent, seeing how these biblical characters. As they are waiting for Christ, show us, as the people of God, what longing for Jesus means and what it's all about. And so we've talked about in our first week the extraordinary, ordinary life of Anna. The ordinary life of Mary, but who was spirit-filled. And today we arrive at Simeon, a man that is so invisible during the Christmas season that you won't ever hear a Christmas song about him. There's no Simeon merchandise on sale this time of year. There's no place for him on the nativity scene. And yet, when we look, take a harder look at the Simeon story, as we will today, we will find something remarkable about Jesus. And another look at how Advent and the waiting shapes us as God's people. Uh, but before we begin, can we, can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we long for Jesus to come. Give us purpose and hope in the waiting. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. May the Spirit fill the preaching of your word this morning. May it feed and bless your people and make us long for the second coming of Jesus. And in his name we pray these things. Amen. Well, um, everyone in their lives, I'll start by saying this, has an ordinary person that they see regularly. That is not their family, not their friend. Uh, that they know little to nothing about, and yet this ordinary person is a critical part of your routine. Um, Life doesn't seem the same without them, and yet you may know nothing about them personally. It's not because you don't care, that you don't want to talk with them, it's that the nature of this interaction with this individual is so limited, it's so fleeting, that there's a limitation that's often too hard to overcome to go deeper, to know more about them, and yet. Uh, there's a curiosity, isn't there, about these people in your lives. What they're about and what they do and, and who they are. Um, so for me, that person is the head manager of the Dunkin' Donuts that I frequent nearby. Right? He's always there when I go on my weekly pickup right, for my online order. And I say hi, I pick up my order, and I usually walk out as quickly as I came in. He's, he's terribly busy. He's, he's running around working the drive through at the counter, but he always takes the time to acknowledge me with a quick smile. The occasional, do you want a donut? Right? and uh, Then you know, I always say to him, oh you know, I'll, I'll see you next week. And then he always cheekily replies, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> um, and then he's back to the hustle and I'm back to the hustle and not the door. Uh, if you're anything like me uh, with wild imagination, uh, you start to kind of create a backstory for this character that's in your life that you don't know anything about. You know what, What's his story? Why, why donuts? What, what led him here? And strangely enough, um, though I don't know him, and though he hardly knows me, I'm sure, uh, I come to expect him every time. And when he's not there, I feel a sense of loss because of a familiar face. Surely this is how people who would visit the temple view our main character in the story today, Simeon. You see, Simeon was a part of the temple and he would be there every single day, but we aren't really given that much information about him, do we? We don't really know his backstory. Is he a priest? Is he some older gentleman? Who is he all about? What's his story? How do we understand or comprehend him in the grander scheme of the story of Jesus? You know, many of us, when we're Bible reading, we may think about, proverbially, getting our coffee and heading out the door to a more important passage in Scripture. We may never even stop to think about him for more than a brief look. But to ignore Simeon would be to our neglect, because there is a richness here regarding Simeon that can help us look and comprehend the larger picture of what it means to be a person of Advent, how to wait for Christ. So today, we are going to stop and smell the donuts here, as it were, on Simeon and ask four questions that Simeon answers. Uh, Number one, what are we waiting for? Uh, Number two, what are we living for? Uh, Number three, what are we worshiping for? And number four, what are we to do with Jesus? All right, so let's start with what we are waiting for, what Simeon was waiting for. Simeon is a rare character in the Bible. The very first descriptors about his character that we are presented with is that he is called both righteous and devout. Uh, But unlike so many who are given these titles, Luke is surprising us by not demonstrating to us a person who starts off righteous and then later on falls into sin. Uh, There's no scandal. There's no character arc with Simeon or a turn for the worse. If we were writing a novel, we would call this character a static character, right? He's sort of meant to drive the plot forward, and one that doesn't change at all. Uh, You know, kind of a manager at a Dunkin' Donuts, a fleeting interaction. Someone who we know, but we aren't acquainted with, and because of that, it might seem hard to relate to. But let's dig deeper and see more to Simeon than meets the eye. When Simeon is called righteous and devout, Simeon joins a very select group in all of Scripture who are individually called righteous or devout, aside from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Simeon joins the ranks of Abraham, Noah, Daniel, Job, Lot, Joseph of Arimathea, Abel, Joseph, Cornelius, John the Baptist, Ananias of Damascus. Uh, Not the Ananias in Acts 5, the Ananias in Acts 9. Uh, And crucially, uh, in chapter 1 of Luke, right before Simeon, Zacharias and Elizabeth are also called righteous. None of the apostles are called righteous and devout, not even Mary. Simeon is given a title that causes us as a reader to slow down. We have to pause when reading this because this title is given to him. And so we have to get to know him. Now it's not just that Simeon was righteous and devout. Notice here that the action that his righteousness and devoutness takes him. It takes him to wait. You see, Simeon was told that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the hope of Israel in Isaiah, because the Holy Spirit had come upon him, and he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so here, we are reminded of what perhaps we are waiting for. You see, many Christians believe that we sh- it's just about living the morally righteous life, a life of devotion filled to the Lord. Now, this is well and good only if our righteousness and devotion are placed towards someone. The anticipation, the hope of someone worthy of our piety, of our striving for holiness. In other words, Advent is about understanding that our hopes are not merely for our own personal character development growth, but rather readying ourselves for the righteousness that is to come in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a parable that Jesus gives in Matthew 25. There's this set of people who hear the news that the bridegroom is coming, and one set of people did not prepare themselves with any kind of readiness. They took the message of God's sovereign plan and believed that they in no way had to act upon that news. Total determinist, someone maybe who might take the beauty of the Reformed theology of God's sovereignty and totally distort it and absolutize it to a degree that calls them to inaction, and inactivity. Uh, this is not faith in the Advent, uh, but rather what Jesus describes himself in this parable as foolish. And then there are those who are with an active waiting, a readying of themselves, preparing extra oil for their lamps, preparing for any measure in which the bridegroom could be delayed, and not be on their own schedule. Advent for them means keeping themselves alert to the reality that the bridegroom could come at any time. So Simeon, in other words, waits not through passivity, but rather an active obedience that calls to stay ready for the sake of the calling that God has placed on his life. That is sort of the telos of his righteousness and his devotion. So let me ask you, What does waiting for Jesus look like for you now today? What does getting ready for the second coming of Christ mean for you? Pursuing righteousness and devotion to Him. You know, sometimes waiting causes us to feel trapped. Like, we're not where we're supposed to be yet. You know, we're sort of the child in the backseat of the car asking, are we there yet? Not realizing that we're sort of wasting time complaining about what life is right now in the moment rather than preparing ourselves for what life is about to be, and that's what leads us to our second question here today: Is what are we living for? What are we living for? How would we live, considering knowing how difficult the waiting is going to be? Consider Simeon's plight: living every day, readying himself for the waiting, means every day the anticipation of possibly seeing the coming Messiah the savior of the world that the people of God would have been waiting for their entire lives. That sounds wonderful, but look at the other half of that waiting. It would mean that seeing him would mark the end of his life. So you start asking yourself, how would that knowledge that came from the Holy Spirit to Simeon change the way that you would live each and every single day? Would you still wake up doing the things that you've always done? living the way you'd always live? How would that shape and change who you are and what you would do? Or would you stray from the course that the Lord has set you on, maybe feeling a sense of dread, of loneliness, or burden, falling into the temptations away from where God is calling you to go each and every single day? Uh, You know, just just the modern-day analogy of this, Uh, many of you might be familiar with uh, this YouTuber whose name is Jimmy Donaldson. Uh, He's better known to the internet community as Mr. Beast. Um, He has over 200 million followers on his YouTube channel, mostly dedicated to stunt giving. Um, He once tipped a pizza delivery guy $10,000. He bought an entire warehouse store and gave it away to strangers. He bought a house and gave it away for $1. But but perhaps um, these days, what he is most known for are his forays into endurance challenges to people who are longing for this incredibly big payout. One of his most recent videos shows a scenario where he puts two people into a room and gives them enough food and supplies to last 100 days and tells them that all they have to do is survive in this room for 100 days and they will win a half a million dollars. But once they exit the room, if they do any exit the room before 100 days, they would be disqualified and they would lose everything. Now many of us would find this proposition of this quite easy. Just stay devoted, and the money is yours, right? But what becomes unexpected about the whole ordeal is the temptation that Mr. Beast puts into the 100 days. One day they are told that if they sacrifice $20,000 of their winnings, they can get spices for their canned food and a Harry Potter book series to read for the 100 days. And they buy it for $20,000. They are told that if they want the ability to control the lights, to turn off so that they can sleep, it would cost them $100,000, and they buy it. And sure enough, one by one, throughout the course of the action that just seems so easy, just wait for 100 days, they wind up giving $150,000 over the course of that 100 days for the simple pleasure of temptations that drive them away from the course of what they could have gained. You know, the sad thing is, though, if you watch that video you begin to justify the cost of those items and see how easily you would fall into those very same temptations as well. You see, in the moment of waiting for the coming hope, the everyday distractions of what you want and wish and desire in the now can become so unbearable that we'd like to trade away the hope we have in Christ for something that seems justifiable but really is just temporary and fleeting. The lifestyle that we long to live for, I suppose, to the one that God is calling to us now. The time we long to spend on our idolatries rather than the time that we have been called to effectively steward for the Lord. The temptations of the fruit that appear to make us wise, but only call us to deny the very God that we believe in. I say this to all of us because it becomes so easy for us to throw it all away in the waiting. That what we start to live for, we just get so sidetracked so easily. Uh, I'm reminded again this week, um, sadly as I hear at least three to four times a year, in our very own denomination, the PCA, of ministers who threw all the work that God gave them away for the sake of power, of lust, of control. The feeling that God and their congregations would look away from their sin for a fleeting pleasure or the belief that they were God of their own congregations, You see, even elders and ministers are prone to these attacks just as much as anyone, and we need to pray for them as well, and we covet your prayers. Sometimes living in the waiting becomes difficult, despite what is promised to us more than a half million dollars. We are promised the hope of Christ. And yet, remaining devout seems like the hardest thing to do. Consider the prize that is being offered to Simeon. Simeon is promised to see Jesus. He's promised to meet him, to know him, to have the one that will be the salvation of the nations to be in his grasp. And that makes it all the more impressive when you Think about his life and the fact that he lived it in the same manner of faithfulness despite everything that surely must have come as a stumbling block upon his pathway. His living would be a daily remembering of the promises that would await him. His daily walk to the temple would be a cause to not surrender the promises of God, like Esau for a bowl of lentil stew, or Sapphira for adoration of the church. It is the steadfastness of Simeon that cannot be thrown away because Simeon knows the prize of Christ is that much greater. So what happens? Well, Jesus arrives one day into the temple where Simeon was in Jerusalem. And on that day, Simeon holds Jesus in his arms. And what does Simeon do? He bursts out into worship. He realized that he can now depart in peace because the salvation that was promised is right there before him. A promise not just for the Israelites, but for the entire people of God, the Gentiles. A light of revelation to those that would be considered outside of the camp to know the salvation of the Lord. Simeon's heart bursts out into worship. Everything that Simeon had been living for leads to the worship of God. And that's what gets us into our third question here. What are we worshiping for? Well, what was Simeon worshiping for? Simeon comes to the temple, waiting for the hope of the prophet Isaiah, awaiting what his mark w- uh, what will eventually mark his death, but knowing that he will have life eternal ahead of him. For Simeon, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For Simeon, his everyday worship routine is not a trap in a cell with a promise of release. It is a liturgy that frees him to live life in knowing that christ will be his the daily sacrifices at the temple the prayers to the lord the hearing of god's word these symbols would remind simeon of the christ that he would eventually come to meet one day and suddenly these ordinary aspects of worship in the temple remind him of his true calling and it makes so much more sense now that he has jesus in his arm it's a liturgy that realigns the desires Of Simeon's heart. You know for the Christian when we look at Sunday morning we see that God has given to us a liturgy each and every single Sunday and it's not meant to just merely put us in a cycle of perpetual actions. Rather these are everyday things that drive us to live the life that Christ is calling for the church to live and they are grounded in the very symbols that Simeon would have seen as the promises of God these means of grace to sustain the waiting. Worship, living on this side of redemptive history, these symbols would take a very different shape than Simeon. Rather than sacrificing turtle doves at the altar, like Joseph and Mary would have, because they were poor and they couldn't afford a lamb, instead, we marvel at the finished sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. We don't come to a temple to experience the presence of God. Rather, we are the temple of God. Living stones built upon Christ the foundation, the rejected stone that becomes the cornerstone for us. We no longer celebrate the Passover year to year as Simeon would have. Rather, we celebrate the Lord's Supper each and every single Sunday and remind ourselves of the body and blood of Christ that was shed and feed upon his promises that he will come again and feast with us. Nourish spiritually of the grace that Christ won for us on Calvary. You see, living and worshiping as a Christian isn't about routine for the sake of routine. It's about nourishing us in a way that keeps our hope in the Advent secure. Though worry, though hopelessness, though fear, though anxiety may come, our coming to worship each and every single week to experience His grace guides the people of God to prepare us to meet Jesus. So this is why the worship service is so important for our daily diet as believers. It's the kind of sustaining grace that God grants to us to get through each and every single week. You know, there's so many auxiliary benefits to the church, but they're not the main point. It's, It's more than just coming because we're lonely. Although certainly the church can be a community that you can call family. It's more than just coming because this is just what you've always done, although church can be a stabilizing force. It's more than just appreciating singing and music, although congregational singing is something that does pierce the soul and cause us to wonder and marvel. It's it's worship to the living God that reminds us that we will see Christ again. He sustains His people through these services in such a way that it helps us to face a world filled with the very temptations that would lead us away from his promises. You see, uh, it's times like this that remind us that we have a strength that helps us to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the horrors of sin. We have a Jesus who has come and is coming again. It reminds us that we are redeemed by Christ for those who trust in his promises. We have, as the song says, strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. We worship because Christ is preparing a place for us. He awaits us. And He has given us this hope that nothing could ever take away or rob or steal. Church, Christ is yours today. Christ is alive. And working through here in this service right now to remind you that He will come again. And that leads us to our final question, which is, after we thought about what we're waiting for, what we're living for, what we're worshiping for, uh, it's this question of what are we to do with Jesus? Simeon, at the end of this narrative, gives a prophecy to Mary that leaves a very ominous future for this baby Jesus. He says that Jesus will be the cause of, of the rising of many or the fall of many. That this life would cause such a heaviness to Mary, that it would be like a sword has pierced through her spiritual soul, that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. Now, uh, just as a side, this is certainly not good news that you would expect to hear from a house of worship. Uh, certainly not from someone who has just held your baby, right? That's not something that you would expect them to say, which is why Joseph and Mary marveled. But you see, the gospel of Simeon is not a gospel of mere good and nice sentimentality. The gospel isn't naive to the reality of Jesus' life that he would live. There are those that are going to look at the exact same promises that Simeon would have been given. The same Spirit of God that is being freely offered to those who would just believe. The same promise of salvation. Sins forgiven. Lives healed. Assurance of heaven. And want nothing to do with this Jesus and his arrival. The very nature of Christ entering into the world means that there are those that will look at it and simply walk away and throw it all away. You know, isn't it true for all of us that um, the longer we live the Christian life, the harder this truth hits us? Um, If you've been a Christian long enough, you will know people that you used to go to church with people that you used to worship and delight in the Lord together, people that you would praise with together for his goodness and his grace. And then when their hearts and their thoughts are revealed, the painful realization that they never loved Jesus at all. And these are the moments in life when you realize what Jesus meant to them this entire time. And that sense of loss can feel like so much. It can seem like too much for us to bear. The truth that comes to us in those moments makes us realize that the truth that all of human history centers on, and that is the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Like, really, who is he to you? Do you really believe that he is who he says that he is? Did he do the very things that he said that he would do? Did he love the very people that he says that he loves? Is his character really towards, and his heart towards, the orphan and the widow? Is sin really sin? Sins of passion, of gossip, of covetousness, of the love of money? See, either it's all true, and we are living in the advent of Jesus, and all of human history is divided on him, or we are fools, most to be pitied. A bunch of phonies playing church on a Sunday morning to make us feel better about ourselves. Delusional souls with nothing better to do. So the challenge of Simeon to Mary and Joseph is the challenge to the people of God and the church in Advent. Who is Jesus to you? Simeon understands that it must be the truth. And he lived his entire life waiting, living, worshiping for it. He speaks his last words in the Bible to confirm it for all of us. Jesus is the Son of God who comes to save sinners and redeem the cosmos. Jesus is the conqueror of Satan's sin and death. Jesus comes to wipe away the tears of our eyes, weary under the weight of depression, anxiety, of incompleteness, of loss. Jesus is our righteousness and our peace and our hope. Jesus helps us to see that there is a justice for those who have experienced the harmful effects of this world, the great harm of church hurt, of injustice, of silence on issues that affect the marginalized, the poor, and the hurting. To Simeon, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the question he leaves here is, is the question that the book of Luke will spend the rest of its chapters answering. Who is Jesus to you today? Is Jesus just the guy you stop by each week in passing? Maybe a critical part of your routine, but a man that you don't even know. Do you have him wrong? And if you do, what would it mean for you to make it right again? What would it look for you to look to the cross? And see your Savior. His blood shed for your sins. See your resurrected Savior three days later. Trust in Him as your one hope in this life. Would knowing Him change your life in considering how He is calling you to Himself here today? So, this week, As I began my routine, in light of just my reflections on this passage, I felt a little bit of conviction of not letting the people that are in my life simply just become static characters in the story. So um, this morning I felt compelled to go into Duncan, and I was ready to meet the manager. I was ready to go just beyond, hey, thanks for the order, I'll see you later. And I stopped in with all of this conviction, and... The manager was not there. So I was going, man, wanted to get to know him more. So instead, this is what I did. Uh, I went up to the front counter, and I saw the assistant manager, who I see there every single week. And I said this, this is going to sound incredibly weird. But I just want to say that I, I really appreciate you all for all that you do for, for me and my routine each and every single week. It's, it's such a small part of my day. It's just coffee and a sandwich. But I, I really thank you. You guys really do bring a lot into my life. And they looked at me weird at first, right? <laughs> this isn't a normal interaction at a coffee shop. And then they all smiled uh, on the back counter. And they said, yeah, this is wonderful. And then I said, see you next week. And the assistant manager said, I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) What does it mean to stop and just consider the people in your life that have always been there, but especially Jesus, that you may have just passed by in these small little moments? What would it look like for you to stop and consider what it means to wait and live and worship Him in your life? Who is Jesus to you? Because if you do stop and you do think, I guarantee you it will change your life. So let's pray together.